This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hello, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Today's topic is why you need a content team and how to build one. And this is an interesting topic to me because content truly is a team sport. Certainly, you know, I can write my own blog post, but somebody still has to edit it. Somebody still has to distribute it. And there you go. You already need at least a couple people on your team to be successful. So today's guest is Rachel McConnell. She's actually the author of Why You Need a Content Team and How to Build One. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's nice uh, brighten, brightening my day up in what would otherwise be, you know, just another day sitting here staring at my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And of course, um, are you you're still are you at home because of um, social distancing rules currently yeah. still? Yeah, so um, this is my seventh or eighth week working from home. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't really, to be honest, I don't really miss the office, but it would be nice to be able to um, have a change of scenery every so often. Well, I always enjoy these uh, as we're recording this during the, as the coronavirus pandemic is still going on. Um, I also like the break just to talk to other people that are not family members. <laughs> yeah i i get that <laughs> so um so why you need a tell me about the book what prompted you to write it and um yeah why do we need this topic yeah so i um found myself uh about how many years ago now maybe like six seven years ago i found myself moving over from a traditional digital marketing role um, where I was writing content for things like customer emails, social media, uh, blog posts, and, and your sort of typical um, CRM content. And I found, found myself moving into a digital team where there were UX designers and designers and developers busy um, creating digital journeys and digital experiences. Um, I worked for an insurance company at the time. So lots of that was forms, customer forms, um, providing customer quotes and things like that. And um, I, I noticed that they were just kind of muddling through when it came to the content. And I, I was just, I sort of, you know, almost like a bit flabbergasted as to why they had a content expert sort of sitting within their team and they weren't getting me involved in those projects. So I, I kind of made a bit of a nuisance of myself, really, and sort of said, I'm a content expert. Why are you not? getting me onto these projects so they tried it on a few projects and they started seeing the value that that added and then they realized that maybe they needed a bit more resource so sort of gradually over the three years I was there um, in that role I built a team up of content designers content strategists and content managers but it, I sort of found that throughout that time there was a lot of influencing I had to do and there were stakeholders that didn't really understand different content roles they didn't really understand why you couldn't just have one person that 
you know, they're an expert for, in everything. They're an expert at editorial, they're an expert in UX writing, they're an expert in content management. And I spent a lot of my time sort of justifying the nuances between the roles and why you needed specialists in place. So it was kind of the book I wished I'd had at that point that I could have just handed over to the digital director and said, here are all the different content roles. Here's what they do. Here's why you need them. Let's just get on with this. Um, so it was almost about using my experiences to help other people in similar situations. Um, I think, you know, content has evolved a lot over the past few years. The discipline's maturing. There are different roles. There are different people that you need within a business to do different things and it was just about bringing that to life for uh, that those that don't you know still don't really understand all the sort of different content roles and how to how to, how to recruit them I guess yep so it, it, interesting a few comments that um, triggered some some thoughts there so of course um, from a budget perspective I understand mm -hmm. why somebody wants one person to be the expert at everything, right? Email marketing Absolutely. and social media marketing and um, digital advertising and uh, content creation and everything and everything and everything. Because, you know, if you can have one person who does that, yeah. theoretically, you can spend mo uh, save money. Of course, what some people probably don't realize is that when you have somebody who can dabble in all those things, they're probably going to charge you more <laughs> than the entry level writer, right? Mm -hmm. For example. Mm -hmm. um, so, but why do you think there is such a uh, push for, um, you know, fewer people doing more? I mean, is it, is it only, is it truly a budget issue or is it just people to understand or why, that, why does that happen? I think it's a combination. So if you think about design of, you know, 15 years ago when, when um, companies sort of started becoming digital, you had a designer who did everything. Um, you know, they were often doing design work, development work. They were often sort of a bit of a jack of all trades and, you know, in some instances writing the content, which a lot of them still are. And then uh, as, as sort of digital digital matured um, as an industry, you know, people became aware of the fact they needed those different roles. They needed, you know, they needed different types of developer. They needed different types of designer. They needed the people that could be really, really zoomed in, but then they needed the more strategic people that could be zoomed out and looking, you know, broader at, at, the, at the customer journey. And I think it's a similar thing with content. So, you know, traditionally you had a content manager or um, a copywriter and they, they dabbled in a bit of everything. But actually, you know, writing for marketing, writing marketing content is a very different skill set to writing microcopy or, you know, prototyping alongside a UX designer. And they're very, very different skills. So I think part of it is is probably budgetary. But I think and there's another part of it, which is actually not recognizing the value that the specialists bring. And it's kind of a bit of a vicious circle because if you don't have those people in place, they're not adding the value. Um, you can't, you're therefore not seeing the value and therefore, you know, how do you get out of that? How do you break out of that cycle? And so, yeah, I think it's, I think you're right. It's, a, it's definitely a combination of, of budget. It's also the fact that, you know, if companies have set a precedent for content in things like UX writing being done by designers they're thinking well as is you know fine chugging along fine thanks very much we've got designers writing the content why would we need content experts but actually you know they're not really looking towards the companies that are doing content really really well they're the ones who are 
paying the experts and the, and the specialists to come in. And so there's a difference between sort of being mediocre or bad at content and then being really, really good. Right. And so one of the comments on your book, I think it was on Amazon when I looked at it, uh, it, it talked about when you design a website, why would you talk about, why would you have lorem ipsum in there, right? I mean, it doesn't yeah. really reflect uh, what it will say. It just kind of, it's like looking at, I don't know what the example you gave, um, you know, look at pieces of a car, right? Or something like that. Yeah, it's really placeholder copies. Um, it's very common. And the, and the problem is, is that, um, you know, companies are investing much more in things like user testing. Let's, you know, let's go and get some users. Let's see if the, you know, this is a usable platform we've created. Let's see if they would buy our product. But you're not really, if you, if you ha haven't got accurate copy in there and you're just testing with, you know, Latin, you're never going to get accurate test results because people don't separate, you know, in their eyes, they don't separate the words from the, the journey they're going through. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. Um, and they, you know, they're not going to understand Latin. They're not going to understand what they're really looking at. So you have to have accurate content in there, even at that testing stage. You know, there's absolutely no point in investing in research if you're not then investing in, in accurate content. Right. So, but why do you, why do people use lorem ipsum? I mean, if it's like, is it just because it's easier to look at the, uh, the design? <laughs> I mean, do you know what I mean? Like if I look at a design, I can say, oh, I like it or I don't like it, but I don't really know how it all goes together. Right. I mean, I don't know, yeah. like, is it going to draw me in or, or not? It's lazy designing really. And it's designing without content. So if I'm building a house, I'm not, I wouldn't build a house without knowing what each room is going to be used for. Um, that would be crazy. Yet, you know, designers were often quite happy to put a design together, not even knowing whether there'll be copy needed on that page. But let's just put a text box in and let's just assume there will be. Um, and then you have all those sorts of awkward conversations where the designer goes to the content person way too far down a project and says, can I have some copy for this? And the content person says, okay, give me some context. What are you trying to achieve? Who are your users? You know, all those questions that we need to ask to write the, to write the content. And then we actually come back and say, well, you only need a sentence there. And then the designer says, well, I've allowed for three paragraphs. And you say, well, I, I don't need three paragraphs. I can say what I need to say in a sentence. They're like, well, you know, I'm going to have to redesign this now. If they'd had those conversations right at the beginning and the designer was designing with the correct content, it saves time. It's much more efficient. And it's actually much better because you're designing around the content. You're designing with the content. So you can you can be a bit more clever with your designs. You can be a bit more creative. So it's it's beneficial for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. but, but it takes like it takes a different level of um, collaboration right? Because yeah, you can't just go absolutely. sit, you can't just be in your lane and say, I'm designing, I'll go to a writer when I need a writer. Um, and then and then how about this scenario? I mean, I can totally see this happening. And I have seen this happen, actually, is sometimes, um, you know, when I talk to people, they said, well, what would you do with our website? What would you update? And there's mm -hmm. certainly some things you can say for about any website, right? Like, why do you have a slider? Like, do people yeah. even, but again, do people even click on that? Yeah. Um, you know, do you need the social buttons on the top? There are big exit signs. But yeah. but usually when I my answer is I really have to dig into the numbers a little bit further. Mm -hmm. What are people doing? What are they um, looking at? Yeah. And a lot of 
some leaders, I shouldn't say a lot, but, but some leaders, and I, I don't want to necessarily categorize them, but they, <laughs> they, they look at me like, that's crazy. I thought you were a digital marketing guy. Why can't you just give me some thoughts without asking any questions, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, that, yeah, it's, it's crazy because it's not, and even, even with the numbers, you know what people are doing, but it's not going to tell you why they're doing it. You have to overlay that data with behavioral, you know, some sort of behavioral observation. Um, otherwise you, you've only got part of the picture. And I think, you know, yeah, there is best practice things where you probably could go in and give a couple of pointers and say, you know, this is not best practice or people's mental models are not to have your menu there. You're, to have it here but actually if you want something really really effective and impactful you have to delve a bit deeper and find out exactly what the real problems and opportunities are um and it's exactly the same for content like you know you're right it's not just a question of oh suddenly we know all this off the top of our heads actually every single website is different every single app is different every single user is different um you know we can't just magically come up with a solution without doing the proper research Yep. Um, and, and yeah, that is it, is, it is a lot of early collaboration It is doing that research together with either with researchers or with your designers, depending on, you know, whether you're in the luxurious position of having a research team or whether it's just, you know, we've got to get this done. What can we do ourselves? Um, so, yeah. So and, you know, what's funny, what's funny to me always about best practices is the, my favorite story is I, I put my sign up form for email signups on the top of my articles mm. and somebody says, well, that's not a best practice. They go at the bottom. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really care. I see 5% growth day by day, you know, because everybody, um, everybody signs up. Mm. So um, what, what do I care if that's not the best practice? It seems to be, it should be a best practice. Um, <laughs> let's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about so what are the what are the players that we need for a good content team i mean what are the the, the basic roles that uh, as i'm putting together a content team what who do i have to have who do i need to fill etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. so uh, it it largely depends on your business if you are just creating digital products or services and you don't have um uh, you know, if you are, if you don't have, if there's no need for a kind of broader communication strategy, which I'm trying to think of an example where that might be the case, and I can't think of many, maybe like, uh, I think most companies would have a broader communication strategy. So I, I kind of think of it as Zoom level. So your your highest um, Zoom out across your business is your st strategic role. So your kind of content strategist that is looking at how you join up content across the business, how you connect those different dots. So is your marketing consistent with your um, website copy? Is that consistent with your product experiences? Is that consistent with your forms and what your call centers are saying? You know, how, how are you talking about your products consistently everywhere? What's your tone of voice? Uh, how, what kind of processes and workflows are you using? What tools are you using? You know, all those kind of more strategic things. That's where I would put a content strategist. So the person who's looking at, uh, making sure that you you provide a holistic experience externally, but also that internally you're sort of set up operationally to succeed. So it's like the what we're what we're creating, and then how we're going to get there. So it's kind of the the how and the what, um, and then sort of then in digital product teams, so people that are creating um, web journeys or apps or you know anything that needs 
UX writing, I would put either a UX writer or a content designer on those teams. Um, the reason I say either is because I know that in the UK, we tend to use content designer more than UX writer. UX writers use, seems to be used more commonly in the States. Uh, but yeah. Largely, you know, the roles are fairly similar. Um, and then in your marketing team, um, your sort of brand and marketing team, then you, you're going to need um, sort of more traditional content um, experts and whether that's it depends on your sort of setup and the size of your organization organization but whether that's a combination of content managers and editorial writers or whether you just have kind of content strategists that can do everything it really I think it really depends on the size of the organization but um, they're the sort of key they're the key roles that I guess everybody needs and then you know there are bigger companies where they have nice hefty budgets and they bring in SEO experts or they bring in um, people that purely focus on things like content modeling and putting or putting content design systems together so you kind of then get really granular roles in those larger organizations you know some some companies have people that whose whose job it is to purely create and manage a content design system um or do optim you know do seo optimization but they're like quite sort of niche roles yep so very similar how i so I break it down in, in content performance culture and in, in the chapter on, on what roles I would recommend is really mm. same thing. Yeah. Content strategists, right? That's whoever owns the strategy. Why do we do it? Yeah. Um, et cetera. And then the production, which could be writers, could be uh, you call them designer, um, UX designers or uh, content designers. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you also need somebody who actually looks at the numbers. Is it working? Is the funnel working? Are people doing what we want them to do so very very similar um why why do you think I mean, I mean is there still a push out there that companies don't want to um invest in in good content or is that just uh am i think just dreaming that up i think some of them actually do but don't really know how or what they need so in my experience most companies recognize they have a problem with content they recognize that their content isn't doing enough to meet the needs of their users it's not relevant enough um, but they don't really know how to how to change but then I also think that you know we are a little bit guilty often as as um, content experts in shouting about the value of our work we don't we don't tend to put our hands up and say do you know what I just changed this button label and it had a 71% uplift that was just changing a word. You imagine what we could do if we changed all the words on that page. We do, we're not very good at shouting about the value of it. We're not very good at always setting objectives for content and then looking back and measuring against that. So because we're not great at demonstrating that value, um, the investment doesn't sort of come back. You know, people don't go, oh, wow, this is great. Let's invest more. So I think it's a combination of, of that. I think naturally content people tend to be quite introverted and quiet you know there's not a lot of us putting ourselves out there and shouting about the fact that people need to invest more money in content and take it more seriously whereas you know if you look at the design community it's almost sort of overflowing with people out there saying you know designing to see the table designing to see the table so you know there's there's not as as many of us as there should be out there advocating for content and pushing ourselves out there and being a bit more forceful with our voices 
Um, so I think there's, I think there is a job, a, still a huge job to be done in um, educating businesses. Um, absolutely, and so one thing, as a content strategist or even a content producer or, or digital analyst, um, I would highly recommend um, participating publicly mm-hmm. in our field. And here, and here's the reason why. I mean, even. You know, Rachel came on the show, and, 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 and I do appreciate that and always love to hear other insights. But I learn a lot on just talking to people, right? I, I'm learning from Rachel. The other day, um, you know, we had Greg Gifford on, talked about local SEO, which I hadn't thought about at all. Um, learned a lot on there. We have um, other episodes coming out on voice search uh, with Scott Westwater and uh, Susan Westwater. And you know, so it's the other thing is um, just putting yourself out there and sharing your own knowledge and, and talking with other people. And there's no reason to not do it publicly. I mean, Rachel, we could just have a virtual coffee yeah, right, yeah. and not publish it. But but why not share um, all the knowledge? Um, what, why do so many strategists um, not do that? Why do they uh, why? Why is it a struggle to, to put themselves out? There? I think we talk to each other a lot. So I think as content people we talk to each other a lot I'm certainly on a lot of black communities where you know there's thousands of us sort of chewing the fat and bouncing ideas off one another but but going out into um, the wider digital industry and and um, actually talking to designers and UX designers and researchers is quite intimidating and you know the design community is already quite established and there can often be some quite um combative sort of debates and discussions going on on design twitter and to try and sort of get into those conversations is actually you know it is quite intimidating and i think we need to be better at being braver and going to you know maybe events that we wouldn't normally speak at you know going to ux events or going to design events and talking about content it's um it's something i try to push myself to do a little bit more and you, you know you do have to be you do have to be a bit brave going you know you don't have it's you don't just think to yourself oh I can't go to this I'm a I'm a content designer you actually think no you know I create user experiences I'm part of that design process I have just as much right to be at these events than than designers um yeah I largely would identify more as being a designer than a writer because I'm solving problems albeit from a content point of view so I think we just need to be braver and not shy away from from going to those kind of events that we might not normally want to go to and get out there i mean rachel we didn't even i mean i don't even know how i saw i saw something you were talking about content teams and and that's how we connected Mm. um so certainly it builds uh you know it builds connections just by by sharing your knowledge um what kind of advice would you have for uh people trying to break into the field like what are the um, what areas should should um, up and coming uh, college graduates think about? I mean, should it be the writing, or should it be the content strategy, or the, the content design? What's the uh, what, where's the need? What would you recommend that um, people focus on? So I would recommend. So I think I, I think writing is something. Actually, you know, you it's harder to teach writing skills. I think with writing skills. Um, to a to a certain degree you know if you're good at writing you can be a content designer or ux writer or a content strategist the thing that you can teach is um the tools and 
techniques. So there's a lot of UX methodology, which is really, really useful for a content designer or content writer. So things like empathy mapping, customer journey mapping, um, all those kind of tools that you can learn really, really easily online or by hanging out with UX designers, getting involved with their processes, observing them, going along to usability testing, starting to do your own testing, starting to think about not just the writing, but how do you get to the writing? So the writing for me often comes last. All that foundational work you do before that is is the stuff you need to learn. So understanding the context, understanding the users, understanding what their expectations are, understanding uh, where in the journey your content will sit, what does someone see before, what do they see after, you know, all those tools that you need to do to build up all that foundational knowledge to make sure you write effective content. They're the things that I would recommend learning about because you don't really learn about all that stuff um, at college. You, you kind of learn more about that when you're working on the job um, alongside design teams and collaborating with, with designers. So, yeah, if you can read about that kind of stuff, if you can um, join Slack groups, um, buy books like Don't Make Me Think. It's a very sort of traditional, well, not traditional, I say classic rather than traditional classic UX book that teaches about usability. Um, just absorb, absorb as much as you can uh, and observe as much as you can. And don't be afraid to, you know, start writing blog posts or anything, even if you think it's something really basic. I think sometimes writing a blog post, for, even if you don't publish it, is just useful to crystallize your thinking on something and just get it out of paper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you'll get to the end and you think, actually, you know, maybe someone else would find that useful. I'll publish it. And then sometimes you think mm, I, it really helped just to write that down, but I'm not going to put it out there. Um, so, yeah, just just learn and always be thinking how do I simplify this how do I take this complex bit of information or this complex process how can I simplify it because that's what as content designers we're always trying to do is simplify something complicated Mm -hmm. and so certainly when I started out as a writer um, writing was a lot easier (laughs) you know you wrote an article or you wrote anything and you really only had to convince your <laughs> boss that it was good. And today, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at everything. I mean, even as we're talking, I'm getting emails saying, how many people read this? How many people do that? How many visitors? Uh, what's the conversion uh, path? So it's not, uh, that is a, a new thing. But at the end of the day, you still have to be able to write. And the other thing that I always uh, like to remember is you also want to f- find a way to improve as you move along. I mean, I was just, so I'm a big fan um, of um, repurposing old content, especially when it's yeah, not performing, definitely. right? And especially if it's not ranking. And um, when I look at some of my old blog posts today, I, I mean, back then, even the ones that had traffic, I'm thinking, uh, I thought they were good. And today I'm looking at them, I was like, what a bunch <laughs> of crap, you know? Um, so you always want to in- improve, yeah. certainly, and, and move forward from there. Um, what what are the, uh, how how can companies overcome or how can they, uh, what do they normally need to convince themselves that they need a content team? And is it usually, are you an advocate of in-house teams or outsource teams? Or, or how, do, how does that usually I, look? I think, 
um in-house teams because you the problem with a the problem with an external team is that um you know no one knows your customers as well as the people within your business and or they should you know they should be the people that know your customers the best they should be the biggest brand ambassadors they should understand exactly how your customers like to be spoken to. But also all that time, those people who are writing your content, if they're external, you know, they take all that knowledge with them. They take all that um, rationale of why they did something the way they did with them when they move on. And, you know, the, the in-house team is then left kind of picking it apart and thinking, oh, I, you know, I can't really remember why they did this or I, I don't know why they did that. Mm-hmm. And I think the other problem is I've seen a lot in big companies is when they rely on agency content, they don't necessarily need this or have the skills in-house to make good judgments as to whether what the agency is telling them is correct or not. They kind of just go along with it because they don't really know any better. And before you know it, um, you know, the tail's wagging the dog rather than the other way around. And then it's a very hard relationship to get out of. You're reliant upon your agency because you don't have the skills in-house. And it's quite easy for big companies to be, you know, there are some great, you know, I work for an agency at the moment, so I'm not going to say agencies are bad. They definitely have their uses. But I think from as a long term content provider, that can be a dangerous position to be in. Um, I think it's great for short term projects, but as a long term um, relationship, I think it it can lead to the in-house teams becoming quite reliant upon that. How do you, so I'm also a big fan of having um, in-house teams, especially when it comes to content marketing, because it's an ongoing campaign, right? It's not just a one and done Absolutely, and to your point earlier about Um, iterating and and optimizing, you know, you've got to keep your eye on the ball. (laughs) Because as you said, something that was great six months ago isn't great, you know, isn't necessarily great now. So, yeah, changes all the time. Um, So, the you know especially when I was in agency life and I still do some of those projects today. Um, one advantage of an agency is, um, and one of the advantage I see when I work with a lot of different clients, is that I have different perspectives. Right, I see yeah. different things, I see different strategies, I d- see different yeah. setups. Um, one client might have a big email list. One client has a big one, but it's not very. It needs to be cleaned up, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, how so there is that advantage but if you have an in-house team especially one that's been with a company for a while how do you get them um, how or how can those team members find a way to learn some of those things um, that they're not typically exposed to because they're they're working with each other um, and they're not working with other teams what do you have any tips for for that i think in those you know in those instances when you need like fresh eyes or a fresh perspective it's really good to get an agency in for a piece of work that in-house teams can learn from because they they learn different methodology they learn different ways of looking at something uh, at a problem um and so there's a really fine balance isn't there between becoming reliant upon an agency for you know, every year for five, you know, every month for five years on some kind of retainer and actually using agencies to come in, give your team a bit of, um, you know, new knowledge and education every so often and uh, help you innovate. So there's a, there's like a, there's a very fine balance, but I would say one of the things that in-house teams are generally 
in my experience, not always great at, is actually sometimes just lifting their heads a bit above the parapet and saying, what are what are other people doing? Not just in our industry, but in other industries, what are people doing? What does good look like? Um, you know, what are what are what's Spotify doing? You know, what what campaigns are they running? What are Deliveroo doing? You know, like completely different industries, but actually looking at those um, for inspiration. Because I think often the temptation is to look at other brands in your own industry, but then everybody just ends up doing the same thing. So creative, I would definitely recommend really just every so often running creativity workshops and just brainstorm around the topic and just say, okay, we're going to use some, we're going to, you know, get a book like brainstorming or look at some of the um, creative exercises you can find online. And for half a day, we're just going to go out there. We're just going to get some completely fresh ideas on, on what we're doing. Um, even if we never do them, it's just to get into that way of thinking every so often and just get um, your mindset into a different place. So, you know, I guess, so the, the, my takeaway there is uh, if bringing an agency once in a while, maybe to do a workshop or give you the latest updates um, or a consultant or whatever, um, the, you know, the, the key to remember is that you're paying them for yeah, that yeah. as well, right? So you're not paying them for the production. Um, so don't feel bad. I mean, I always... I always wonder sometimes, you know, somebody wants to pay a minimal amount, which I guess I get to get all the answers and then they implement them themselves. So the agency doesn't get any additional work. So mm -hmm. just something to keep in mind that that price tag might be um, adjusted to that. How about going to conferences? Yeah. I mean, talking to other people, learning things, maybe uh, um, yeah. shadowing others. Uh, also, yeah, a really good one. thing to do is um, sort of job safaris where you go and visit a different content team in a different company and see how they're doing things yeah. so um when when i was at rsa one of the things we tried to do is kind of buddy up with maybe other companies that were you know they had digital teams at a sort of similar stage of maturity um just to go and visit and see how they were running things um and talking to sometimes just going for coffee with someone who works at a different company and having a chat with them I, you know i often meet with other content strategists and we just have a chat about what we're working on how our teams are working you know the frustrations we have it just really really helps to to sort of broaden your view from the current day-to-day -day work it's really just easy to get sucked into the day-to-day -day work and never have that wider perspective. Absolutely. And one thing, and I did blog about this on authenticstorytelling.net before, uh, if, especially if you're going to conferences, especially when you're listening to, to other um, experts talking about things, just keep in mind um, whether or not what part pieces you can actually do. And I, I, you know, when I wrote about how most social media toxic conferences <laughs> are a waste of time, and the, re and the reason they are, is because even if you do what they did six months ago, yeah. it might not work today anyways. Um, so just something to keep in mind, you know, what's, what pieces can you take from what they were doing? Um, can you implement them quick enough? And that's, that's one thing uh, that I certainly have learned over the years. Um, Rachel, thank you for joining thank us. Um, today's guest was Rachel McConnell. Um, she's the author of Why You Need a Content Team and How to Build One. We'll put the link in uh, the show notes, you can order that on Amazon, Kindle and paperback. Uh, both versions are available um, 
I assume worldwide, correct? Just on yes. Amazon. Yes. Yeah, I think it's pretty much worldwide. Fantastic. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing. Thanks your very insights. much, Christoph. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Music.